0: We've got words for McDonald's now. Like we've got, McDonald's and Marty is <laughs> you know, Isn't that crazy? We've got a word for McDonald's, but we still can't say get fucked. You know?
1: <laughs> your mama's so fat, the back of her neck looks like a pack of hot dogs. May you have seven different kinds of diarrhea.
0: Hey, my youth, your head is as big as Bob Marley culo. Your teeth are like stars, they come out at night. I'll
1: cut you down so low, you'll have to hold a sign that says, don't spit, can't swim. Mm. Welcome to Don't Spit, Can't Swim, a podcast about insult humor from around the world. I'm Ben Kinsley.
2: I'm Jessica Langley.
1: And I'm Justin Crosby.
2: On this episode, we talk with Tuari Dawson, a Māori performer from New Zealand, who is a member of the Electronica Roots group Y, along with family members Mina Ripia, Makafat, and Utite Fanga.
1: If you don't know, Māori are the indigenous people of New Zealand. You might have heard this word pronounced Māori, or Māori, but as Tuari so patiently taught us… You know
0: how when bread is in the kitchen too long and it goes Māori? Exactly. So say Māori. Despite our lessons, we still mess it up throughout this episode. Akiro, my name's Tuare Dawson. Um, I'm a singer and a actor and a performer of traditional cultural Māori martial arts and music uh, from Aotearoa, New Zealand. So um, Aotearoa was the original name, which later became what well, later was described as New Zealand by English settlers. Aotearoa means literally the land of the long white cloud When our people originally um, looked for it They looked up and they saw before they saw the land They saw this huge long white cloud And hence um, Aotearoa Um, It's the next stop It's the the bottom of the Polynesian Triangle So you would say um, in the far north you have Uh, Hawaii and then you go across to Lapanui or Easter Island and then down to New Zealand and we kind of encompass everything in between. So there's Polynesian, Micronesian and Melanesian people. Um, And I remember asking my grandfather what the difference between Micronesian, Melanesian and Polynesian were and he said well they're not lines that we ever drew so we just regard ourselves as children of the Pacific. It was our belief and from our oral history that the... Pacific was kind of a highway that we came and went, and we visited with each other. So, yeah, we're we're a, a Pacific culture. Um, our values are based in, I guess, like most Indigenous cultures, the uh, the four winds. So we are, our belief that everyone is everyone is there are four winds in the world, and we all intersect on one of those winds: north, south, east, west, so on and so forth. Um, very Obviously, like most indigenous cultures very based in the natural world and the spiritual world and, and uh, the love of family and um, tribal links, I guess.
2: So we learned that the English word taboo has etymological origins in the languages of the oceanic region, and it's related to the Maori word tapu. I was wondering if you could tell us more about that.
0: There's two concepts in the Maori world. In the Māori worldview, there's tapu and noa. Tapu is spelled T-A-P-U and noa is N-O-A. So tapu is the, is the world of the sacred. Um, so it could be the spiritual world, perhaps the world of the dead, the world of the, those who have passed over. And noa is the common world. Things like food and just kind of everyday things. So there's, there's kind of a, a classification for tapu being the sacred and noa being the common. And what we try to do is make sure that those two things don't cross that you can use one to kind of break the spirit of the other. So if we were talking about a loved one, someone that we knew in common, or if I was talking about someone and we were talking about, oh, you know, how this person had passed away under tragic circumstances or whatever, and the conversation got quite emotional, what you might do or I might do is to consciously or unconsciously break the tapu of that moment by telling a joke, and that would make the moment noir and that will make the moment common, so it be a common experience. There's a process where we have our tangihanga, our tangihanga are like our traditional funerals. They can go for 5-10 days, depending on the status of the person. Now what happens at the end of that process, we break the cycle of sacredness with food, because food is law, and you've come through a sacred process. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. We also heard about this tradition of making jokes at funerals and insulting the dead. Can you tell us more about that?
0: So, you know, like for me, I don't know here in America, but, you know, some of the funniest p- things that I've ever seen, some of the funniest moments I've ever experienced in my life, you know, guts sp- gut splitting, side shaking, tears rolling down cheek, kind of laughing has been at funerals. One of the things that we're going to a Tangihanga, hanger traditional Tangihanga is people will tell stories. and now, what we call it's Pudako. Pudako, kapu means to breathe and Dako means to make real. So you 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 make your words real. I don't know if that's a good translation, but in life before they die, People go, oh, that's going to be a great joke for for the for my funeral in essence. That's going to be a great joke for my tonguey. So people actually go, oh, God, please make sure you tell that story at my funeral. You know, so a lot of things happen, a lot of kind of weird things. Or you say, oh, that's one for your tonguey. You know, we say that to him. I oh, will tell that at your funeral. That's a good funeral story. You know.
2: Can you give us an example of something somebody might say?
0: My father passed away, and my uncle came in. And he started to... My father was lying there in state in his coffin. And the whole family was around the... What we call the whanau pane, the grieving family. And my uncle said that he was stupid. That he was lazy. He was always late. He came in early. My father was born prematurely. And he said he came in late so he should stay longer. He said he couldn't keep... He couldn't keep time. Uh, So he said, why do you go early when you're always late? In in Māori he... He insulted him in a way, he says, "Stand up, stand up, stop, stop playing these games, stand up, stand up, you know, stop being lazy, and really physically challenging. If you were watching, you would think there was a an argument, a huge unsettled issue going on. but what it was is that our great uncle was showing his love and respect for my father. And while he was doing these things, um, there was tears rolling down his cheeks, tears of tears of sadness. And for us as a family, the greater the man, the bigger the insult, you know?
1: Is anyone allowed to insult or only someone who's close to that person?
0: I think it's always a, it's always a context thing. It's always a context thing. So it's like um, I've also seen sort of on the other side of that coin where when people, so we call it a whakamomori, whakamomori suicide. Um, and what can happen is that the anger, the anger and the, I guess the insults are directed at that person who chose to take their life because of where they've put our community. So the stories are still told but the context is different and the insults um, are to show support for the family which is still living and to berate um, the person, the man or woman or whoever who chose to commit suicide i mean there's no less no no less love and respect but certainly the context is different for that level of emotion
1: i know from the experience of funerals that it in our culture it's usually very somber and serious and then the party afterwards Mm -hmm. or you know the the gathering the family gathering Mm -hmm. afterwards is when Stories are being told when people are laughing there, right? But the idea of laughing at the funeral is really interesting to me and I guess it seems like it's an important Way to deal with this tension
0: It's well the thing is because for all intents and purposes the person's still there They're just not talking You know, so why would you wait for them to be gone to say what you feel? And, you know, tangihanga is a time for laughter, it's a time for tears, it's a time for emotion, it's a time for anger, but it's a time to address all those things too while the person is still there. So we don't, we don't view the person as being gone, we just view them as kind of a silent partner in the sense that they reside there in the spirit but not on the body. I mean, it can be, it's hilarious. You know, people will get up and they will tell the most off-colour stories, but because of where you're at and what you're talking about, it is completely appropriate. The idea of saying these stories when they're not there to hear them is, is kind of strange. I went to my first, um, I guess, what we call Pākehā, a kind of European funeral, uh, about two years ago. And, and and it was in the Catholic church and so on and so forth, so it was very solemn and there was a lot of ceremony. And Oh, I certainly understand the importance of ceremony, but it was interesting to me, I suppose, looking at the Christianity aspect of it, it seemed like it seemed like a commercial for the church and unless about the person who was there. Like it was it was kind of this talk of, um, you know, like, oh, oh God, you know, we just you're just so big and strong and good looking and you know everything and we just we're dust, you know, we're just nothing. Oh, and James is dead. But back to you God. You know, so it was this strange kind of thing where I was kinda of going, Are we gonna talk about is anyone gonna say anything to the person or to the family? So it was this kind of infomercial with a dead guy in a box while they're doing this infomercial when they're kind of trying to sell this new egg beater or food processor called Jesus. So it was really strange to me. It was really, not wrong, but it's really different. My belief and our belief in God's is that they are as real as we are here. You know, the mountain doesn't look at the sea and wish it was a sea. The sky doesn't look at the, the land and wish it was a land. You know, they, they all sit in their own place. So yeah, it's kind of an intriguing thing, especially when it comes to funerals and the lack of humor. You know, humor is, is such a subjective thing, but it's such a healthy thing. So we call it dungwa. Rungwa means medicine and it's healing. When people say laughter is laughter is healing, it completely is. Words are powerful. Every time you open your mouth and humor and anger and love and fear and respect you give that that thing becomes alive. Ko
2: Kōru ki moi moi anate, ya, ka, pa, oro, lo. Kinga, to, to, te, fen, wa. ai. mi, ai. Hai, wa, So we're interested in how you're saying that there is a lot of cutting each other down in Maori culture, in daily life and in daily speech. What do you think the function or the value of that is?
0: I think if you talk to most indigenous people who have a history of colonization, um, that it is either a laugh or a cry situation. Um, In that, you know, you're dealing with things where, you know, you're born... You're born into a world which tells you your language, your culture, the way you look, the way you act. um, Your customs are outdated, they're ancient, they're not of God. Um, uh, Then you've got your own people who have been um, made to believe that the language in our culture has no value. There was actual um, legislation to make sure that the Māori people um, were... Māori men were only fit for manual labour, so we couldn't be doctors and lawyers and all those sort of things. We weren't scientists, um, we were lab, we were labourers. The language is only officially recognised a couple of years ago, but what happened was, just like you'll find with most, especially here, with I imagine with the Native American people, that um, you were beaten for using it. Um, you were beaten for speaking it. But um, I, I think that what it comes down to is that you either laugh, or you die, you know, you laugh, it's not even, you laugh, you cry, you die, and so it's important to find ways to take the edge off, you know, and I guess it's kind of, you know, people call it gallows humour, but I think also too, if you've been in a struggle together, you know, you, you've you got to learn to, you've got to learn to find some light in that darkness, you know, even if it's the most inane, kind of out of context, weird, sort of dark humour, you know, it actually makes it funnier.
1: And so how does that, how does that play out?
0: kind of in daily life like me and me and my friends and my family and things like that um it's just constant innuendo it's constant kind of like um we're always we're always joking about each other it's really disparaging it can be really if you're listening to it and you don't hear the context it can sound really like real put down but what it is also i've got men who i love and we we get off the phone and we say i love you and not I love you bro, I love you in a completely heterosexual, non-sexual way, we don't think in those terms, we just got love you, you know So you've got kind of, I guess, the sacredness of that and this, and the commonness of just that kind of banter In a way, if you don't like someone, you won't give them shit So it" means to make small, so you can't, it's not actually the word for insult, it's the word for make something smaller so iti means, means small and whaka means to do There's a kind of a doing action. So whakiti um, can be a kind of, a, again, a double-edged sword in that it can be used, especially by old people, master orators that would just cut you down with a phrase.
1: There are no profanity, there's no kind of swear words in Maori?
0: No. So there's no, yeah, there's no there's no swear words. No, the, and you find in most Polynesian languages, there's no, the, in a couple of Polynesian languages, there's transliterations of, um, like in Samoan. Um, in Samoan, there's a, the term and they go, gefe, gefe. And people think gefe is an actual an actual word. It's not. It means it's like saying get fucked without saying the get and the fuck say so gefe you know so it's kind of a but that doesn't exist in most Polynesian languages certainly doesn't exist in Māori so what you would be you'd be descriptive about that person or you would use um, a metaphor or some kind of um, example to say something which could be construed as an insult but you couldn't actually say Go fuck yourself or something like that because it just doesn't kind of exist.
1: Can you give us a couple examples of, of ways you might
0: insult someone using metaphor? You would say, Kiakwe te upuku kuhua. So, upuku in, in itself kind of sounds like kind of a very low grade, if you listen to it in English, upuku kuhua means a cooked head. But. That dates back to. So remember, before at the beginning, we were talking about tapu and no. So you're a tapu as a person, you have a tapu spirit, you have what's called a mana and a wairua So your spirit and your spiritual standing is your mana. One of the things you would do, kokohua we believe that the mana, your seat of your mana and your spirit, don't reside in your body, they reside in your head. That's why the head was always sacred, we don't touch each other's heads. Um, so let's say, so Ben we were somewhere and I did something, like, I don't know, I stole some of your sweet potato or something like that, you say, you know, this is this is kind of the traditional context. I mean, you go, upa So, back in the day, what upa is, it means you would take my head and you would boil it and then you would eat the cheeks. And then what would happen is you would digest me and I'd come out the most common thing there is, shit. You know what I mean? So, it's kind of a weird way to put it, but basically you're saying, you're saying shithead. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that's where, it, that's the kind of thing, you are actually saying. upa is not what you've said, it's what that implies. The implication is that I'm going to eat you and turn your, your, your I'm going to make this sacredness um, piece of shit on the ground. You know?
1: But I'm actually going to eat your head and I'm going to use my own body to create, to turn your head, your yeah. sacred thing into yeah. my shit.
0: Not only that, I'm going to take your mana, yeah. I'm going to take your spiritual, I'm going to take your spiritual power and I'm going to, what's left of you is going to be shit. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's an old practice, but that's where, where that's kind of where it comes from.
1: Is that used in a joking way or is that like just a straight up like, fuck you?
0: It, it, you can, you know, it's like a, it's like when you're with your friends. You know, you sit there and they go, oh, you know, you've put a few pounds on, you fuck you. It can be like, U-puk-u-koh-ua. but then in a context, it can also be a complete slightly can be a total, um, jab in the, in the balls for someone.
1: Another kind of metaphorical insult that we learned the other night was
0: about the lobster head. There's a very similar, um, concept in Hawaiian culture. And again, I'm not speaking as a native Hawaiian, I'm speaking of someone who's lived and worked with native Hawaiians, but I think there's kind of a parallel, um, in Hawaiian culture and in Maori culture that they compare someone to a shrimp or a lobster because um, shrimp and lobsters eat their own shit. You're basically saying, eat shit, but you but you were comparing them to going, you know, to the coda. I mean likewise also, you know, there can be really good qualities about those. Say for instance if you're going into battle, they would say, Hey look, only the only the crayfish only the lobster moves backwards. Do you know what I mean? So metaphor was really important. So you know, so not only are you a coward if you move backwards, but you're a shit eater for doing it. So you use those kind of sort of things like, um, so Jessica, if you were around some guy who was really touchy, kind of inappropriately so you can, mm, the the fiki, Feke's the squid. And I think, you know, so you're getting too many, too many hands, man.
2: So basically every dude at the club.
1: So one of the most common insult joke structures in the United States is a yo mama joke. Maternal insults like this, we've learned, are quite old. But I think it's all about taking the sacred in this case, your creator, your mother, and doing the most horrible things to her through language. Is there anything similar in Modi? Well,
0: for us, it's your mountain jokes, your valley jokes, your river jokes. You know, like, um, we talk about our sacred rivers, but if your river is one that is so polluted you can't swim in this, it's fertile ground for a lot of humor, you know? If my mountain is bigger than yours that comes and gets into, into all this kind of phallic stuff you know so there's all that kind of there's room for all that sort of stuff so i was resonating with you when you were talking about your mama jokes and i thought yeah man we hard out have mama jokes we have canoe jokes you know we have um ancestor jokes um can you think of any oh gosh um what's a good example well, like so so there's there's two manga in aotearoa called hikurangi hikurangi to, a, to a, There's a coastal people called the Ngāti Parope, very strong, very beautiful, very vocal people, and they have this mountain peak. It's just, it's, well, it's the first place in the world that saw the cha- turning of the millennium in the whole world. Um, that's how high it is. And then where I come from, there's a there's a mountain called Hukurangi, which I love, but compared to um, Hukurangi, of the coastal people, it's kind of a hill. You know, it's a hill with attitude, though. Um, so there's always, you know, people are always going, "Hmm, who Which one? The, the which one? Your one or or the or the model, the one they based it on?" You know. So there's all that kind of kind of playful banter about you know about the size of your mountain. It <laughs> sounds terrible now. I'm saying it in English, but yeah.
1: <laughs> this whole project for us is thinking about finding oral tradition that mm. still exists in kind of specific ways, in particular places not written down and oftentimes you don't write insult jokes that you don't write this type of kind of informal language down mm-hmm. and so i think it's interesting that you're saying that that traditionally maori language was not was oral tradition only recently was it written down mm-hmm. does something get lost in that i mean obviously loss gets lost in translation right but i don't know does something get lost in that transition
0: for us because we're an oral culture there was something that kind of happened where it's kind of like the invention of the faucet of, of the tap um so let's say you have, uh, you don't have running water, but what you do is uh, people every day you get together for two hours and you have a communal well and you get buckets, right? And you pass them to each other and then you fill up the well and that's how you go. And then some guy comes along and says, Oh, look, here's a thing called a faucet, here's a thing called a water pump. And then what happens is, is that that's great and it's convenient, it's in your home but now you don't get to spend the two hours with your family and friends talking. Now you don't visit with each other. So in in some ways I think that when something is written down as long, like for me, I didn't learn to read until I was 25. And um, so I learned everything by listening. I learned everything through music and listening and moving. So, but once I started reading, it changed the way that I talked. It changed the way that I thought about the world. I mean, you know, I could read... I could be transported to another culture, a place. I could hear the thoughts of someone who'd been dead for 3,000 years or, or 100 years. Or. So it was crazy to me. But I think when the words stay on the page and not in your heart and your head, when they're not things that you utter to your children, you say, go over there and read the book about it, when you, you miss the opportunity to really connect with another person, to really connect with your own family, those conversations are really important. That's why this medium is so important.
2: Karere.
1: You've been listening to Don't Spit, Can't Swim, a podcast about the oral traditions of insult humor from around the world.
2: We'd like to thank Tuari Dawson for his generosity in sparing his time to talk to us while on his short visit to Colorado Springs. Thank you so much to Glenn Whitehead for bringing Y here to perform. An endless thanks to Tuari, Minaripia, Makafat, and Utete Fanga, the members of Y, for sharing their beautiful music with us and for allowing us to use a song for this podcast. For more about Y and to hear more music from them, visit whymusic.co.nz. That's W-A-I-M-U-S-I-C dot
1: If this is the very first time you've listened to this podcast and you need a bit more background information on the origin of this project, please go back and listen to our episode zero. This podcast is slow cooked. We release new episodes when they are good and ready. So please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you receive new episodes as soon as they are published. You can also follow us on Twitter at Janks Archive and we will definitely post new episodes there.
2: That's J-A-N-K-S-A-R-C-H-I-V-E. <laughs>
1: And as they say in Ecuador...
2: Andate a la verga!